All right, folks, welcome America. We have a special edition of the John Solomon Reports podcast today. That's right, we're doing two in one day, and there's only one man that could make us do that. The one, the only Steve Bannon joins us. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm a, I'm a big fan. You know, we love having you on our show, and we love your podcast, so I'm really honored to be doing this special special edition of the podcast. You deserve a special one, and that's great. And congratulations on the success of War Room, too. It's remarkable to see it in so many places on America's Voice, on all the different podcast platforms. I hardly uh, go about town one day without hearing somebody who's heard something provocative and great on there. So congratulations. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's really great. Hey, folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking, I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, so I want to start because it wasn't that long ago, let's say 2015, when you and the president and other people were talking about China and the threat it posed to the American public, where everyone was calling uh, those who were concerned about China xenophobes. Oh, my gosh, you're racist. You're terrible. Now, Joe Biden has gotten on, not on the China gravy train. He and his son were on that back four or five years ago. Now he's on the America First train, talking about an America First strategy, just like the one you and the president executed four years ago. I wonder what you think about that. Well, I'm concerned about it. You know, what What I've been saying for a long time, John, it, with the president, I don't think it's so much about a campaign as about what you're doing in the Oval Office and what you're doing as executive in this in this horrible pandemic. I keep saying action, action, action. And I know the team around him has been working on a Buy American executive order for quite a while. Right. And it's, it, it really encapsulates a lot what the president talked about, particularly about medical, bringing medical supply chains back. You know, Jared Bernstein at the Economic Policy Institute is a smart economic nationalist. He's one of Biden's advisor. And today, let's be brutally frank, they stole a march on the White House. They came yeah. out with a, a Buy American program. I think a lot of it's superficial. Uh, it's, you know, it's ironic that Biden, as you mentioned, the biggest globalist we've had in the U.S. Senate, someone who's really exacerbated the rise of China, is now going hardcore, you know, hardcore economic nationalist. And the reason is that they're smart. They know that to win in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin, you have to be an economic nationalist. You have to want to bring manufacturing jobs back. Biden's never done it, but trust me, he's going to hum a few bars between now and Election Day. And I think this is a shot across the bow of uh, the White House. I think it's a shot across the bow of the Trump campaign. People have got to turn to and get on top of this and get back to what won in 16, at least these economic issues. And uh, I think this is a wake-up call. Yeah, there's no doubt. And there's no accident that Joe Biden's in Scranton, Pennsylvania today to to have this sort of a conversation. It's um, right out of the president in your playbook from from four years ago. Um, 
Oh, well, John, let me just mention that, you know, Biden is actually the senator from Delaware. He's the senator from Wilmington, Delaware, which, as you know, is the post office because you've investigated so many companies. Yep, it's, it's a it's a mail drop in a friendly federal court for global corporations. But he never mentions that he's Joe from Scranton. No, they've done the demographic analysis. They know where they have to run strong. Yep. And that's why he's that's why he's acting like middle class. I mean, this is a guy that shipped more jobs overseas than anybody. But, you know, particularly for law information voters, You've got to get that message out of what President Trump's actually done and actually accomplished. And there's a lot. But not getting this executive order on, on Buy America out and do, have it done quickly early in this pandemic and letting Big Pharma and Wall Street hold it up, it, it's a problem. And I think the campaigns in the White House has got to get it sorted ASAP. Yeah, there's no doubt. It seems like his campaign. Yeah, I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting with um, then the candidate Trump in August of 2016, probably at a moment when he was at his lowest. It was right after the Blue Star families and the Mexican judge comments. And uh, we were a few days away from Paul Manafort being ousted and you coming in. Uh, and it feels like his campaign is sort of in that lull right now, that this is the August 2016 of the 2020 race. If you're in his ear, what would you have him do tomorrow to get Mojo and uh, selling his record again like, like he did early on? I think right now, look, we're in the, the, one of the worst, if not the worst crisis in modern American history, a pandemic, an economic crisis on top of a financial crisis. You have uh, a cultural uh, crisis and a geopolitical confrontation. I would say something very simple. Action, action, action. Yeah. On, on uh, set up a jobs task force and focus jobs. You know, we just had the greatest run, I think, percentage wise in the in the stock exchange, the stock market, the last quarter that ended June 30th. And yet President Trump dropped, I think, eight to 10 points. You're not going to win on the stock market. You're going to win on jobs. So yep. get a task force on jobs. Uh, I think engage more in the pandemic, particularly engage more in the opening of these schools, you know, do things rapidly, smartly and safely show that you're in charge. Uh, and on uh, foreign policy, I think you've got to confront China and you have to confront China in Hong Kong. We have they're decoupling from us technologically. I think right. we have to confront them. We have to stand tall. I think that President Trump does a handful of hard actions and do things like buy America, start bringing manufacturing jobs back. He's going to be fine. But his campaign to me really is what's happening in the White House. That's a people, you know, people can say, oh, it could be a 30 second spot or a new ball cap or a slogan or a rally. Rallies worked in 16 and obviously rallies are important. But to me, factories opening with high value added manufacturing jobs in Michigan is what's going to win uh, re-election for Donald J. Trump. And that's what I would tell people. And I say it every day. I say it on the show. I say it to everybody I know, just action, action, action. You're the protagonist of this drama. You drive the action, just action, action, action. Yeah, literally, he can take credit for Joe Biden coming over to this side of the argument. I mean, Joe Biden was on the complete opposite side of this argument two, three years ago. And uh, but you're right. It seems John, as though- John, 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 you yep. know what that shows? It shows you like Hillary Clinton lost you. A, a, a economic globalist cannot win in, in America today. You have to be an economic nationalist. So the biggest globalist we've had for 40 years, Joe Biden, has really made his career in Wilmington, Delaware, doing that now has to have this faux economic nationalism. The other thing, John, as you know, we've shifted the center of gravity of the, of the conversation around China to having our elites uh, work with China and, and manage the decline of America to now it's full confrontation with China. And so even someone like Joe Biden, who has a horrible record he regarding does. China, is going to have to act. He's going to have to pretend he's tough in order to be elected. I think it says a lot about the American people that people now realize that citizens come first and the country comes first. 
Yeah, and that's a big evolution from where, at least where the elitists were talking in 2015. It's remarkable to see the transformation. And you were one of the first people who saw that as the opportunity, as the messaging. Um, does the president have the right people around him right now? And I think there's two missions he has to do, right? He has to knock Joe Biden down a few pegs. Uh, Biden's negatives are not that high. And then he's got to bring his own positives up by going back to his record and doing things that are consistent with that record, making jobs. Is he surrounded by the right people right now? Listen, I don't think it's about the team. I think he's got some very good people. He's got some very good people in the White House. He's got some very good people in the campaign. You can always, like any great uh, baseball or football team, you can always add uh, some more people. I just don't think it's a personnel problem. And I don't think it's a campaign issue. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I believe this is going to be at the end of the day. We're in a pandemic. We have this economic crisis. We have, what, 15 or 20 million people unemployed, another 1.3 million unemployment uh, benefits uh, applied for today. Today. We've got this Mm -hmm. really complicated uh, negotiation on this fourth package. Uh, We've blown the Federal Reserve's balance sheet up by $6 trillion, right? How you manage that is, and and the complexity of the relationship with China, where they're trying to decouple and also become a hegemonic power on the Eurasian landmass. These are enormously complicated problems. You're looking for a leader. To me, it's the role that Trump was born to, to, to play. I mean, this is where you become a, known as a war leader like a Lincoln, like an FDR, like a Reagan. I would just say take more ownership of these decisions, step into that role. I'd like to see the White House less passive, and I'd like to see it more action-oriented. For instance, let's take the, the police issue. I think the president, since the House and the Senate can't come together, I would recommend the president set up a police commission, a, a presidential commission named after Mr. Floyd and make it have some teeth in it yeah. and have it get a report back to him by, by Labor Day or 1 October, that he will put into practice on the first day of his, of his after his reelection in January, after he takes after he's inaugurated again. I think these are the type of things he can show leadership. You know, Donald Trump has got a terrific record, I think, among the black community of delivering economic benefit to the black community. And I think he ought to start to drive that message in the Hispanic community. But to me, it's all about stepping into the decision, owning the decision. So people say, well, this guy should be there, that guy should be there. I don't really think it's about that. And I don't think it's also about the campaign messaging. To me, the action is the message. Let's get the actions. Biden's, uh, you know, Biden's not a guy that I think's ever exerted a lot of leadership. And if President Trump shows leadership, then the American people are going to say, hey, look, this is such an uncertain time. This is such a tough time. Yeah. Maybe I don't love the House style of Donald Trump every day of the week. But I see what he's trying to take us. I see where he's trying to be a stabilizing figure in this kind of maelstrom of uh, of anarchy that the Black Lives Matter, you know, not all the Black Lives Matter people, but the ones that are the cultural Marxists with the Antifa guys right. are trying to drive us. I think Trump can come in as the center of stability, but that's going to take action. Yep. I, I was talking to someone close to him the other day who said that uh, this election was tailor-made to be played on his home field of the economy and leadership and decisiveness. And he's been playing on the visitor's field and, and constantly playing defense on issues that the Democrats dominate for the day. How does he get the boy? That's pretty. That's pretty perceptive. Whoever said that? That's pretty perceptive. They did. That's, they, a very, that's a very good analogy. Yeah, it really struck me. And so the the question is because you you managed to have a winning field every day in the final two months of the 2016 campaign, and quite frankly, for a very part of the big first year of the White House, even with the Russia scandal, on you guys were getting things done and moving the agenda. Uh, what's the, the if you had one? Uh, piece of advice, action, action, action. But how does the president get into that mode? You know him so well. I think it's let's it go to your default positions. Yep. Trump's default position is always the right position. I think. I think he's. I think he understands he's an American patriot. 
He understands the country. He's an economic nationalism. He's a deep patriot. He loves this country. He remembers in America, even with its flaws back in its glory days, right? After World War II, uh, he, he wants to restore that where it's an economic powerhouse that had high value added manufacturing jobs you could build families around. Yeah. You know, Donald Trump's instincts, you know, you, you, you can't you can't uh, you can't buy his instincts. Yeah. He understands people. He understands mass communications. I think sometimes he gets diverted by what I call marginality. You mentioned back in August of 16. That's one of the reasons I stepped in there is that, you know, he was focused too much on the Khan family. He was focused too much on the on the Hispanic, uh, the Mexican lawyer. These were side issues that weren't to the heart of it. You get back. We ran on populism, economic nationalism confront China, build the wall, a handful of, a handful of issues that people could viscerally connect with, right? He's still got that. To me, he has it even more because I think what he's done actually with, with letting the governors do the pandemic is a smart thing. Yep. I think you got to get more engaged in that. You just can't kind of wish this thing away. Everything is within your grasp. I think you can change all those, those away games, John, to home games. I think we can change them to home games. And here's the thing. Biden's not really been a leader. Biden during the Obama administration was a disaster. Obama had him do, you know, one major thing, which is a pivot to Asia. And John, as your reporting has shown so so well, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot more in the future. Joe Biden made a, and it was horrific. And uh, the relationships with China that Trump really had to turn around was driven by Biden's bad news with Xi uh, about the South China Sea. Right. I think it's this is made for Donald Trump, and, and Biden's not a leader. Biden is not a heavyweight executive. Biden's not a guy that handles crisis well. This is all made for Donald Trump. I would shift the away games to home games. And I think once you make them home games and start playing on your turf and start taking action and keep the messaging simple and powerful, backed up by action, I think that's, to me, that's the winning formula. It's pretty straightforward. I don't think this is astrophysics. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's pretty simple. And it's just a matter of getting them back on the horse and, and doing that. The... Um uh, before we leave the uh, subject of elections, I'm always fascinated by congressional elections because the, the 2018 strategy and the 2020 strategy are very different. What is the, the your prognosis for a Republican majority in the Senate? What can the House Republicans do? And does it really rely predominantly on the president's coattails? Well, listen, the first thing I did when I took over the campaign in, in, on August 13th and 14th was call Reince Priebus. I'd only met Reince a couple of times, but I, I, I called Reince and had him send up Sean Spicer and Katie Walsh of the campaign basically second them in there to join Kellyanne and Dave Bossie and Bill Stepien and others. Right. But and try, we had to win in the coalition. We may disagree about a lot. Look, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Austrian economic guys of the Heritage Institute that don't love my economic nationalism, but we agree on more than we disagree with. We have to win as a coalition. The Cook reports out this morning, and I would tell every Republican to read it because it's pretty brutal. They say this is not going to be this is not lining up as a blue wave. Like in 18, this looked like it could be a blue tsunami. Right. And I think people with 120 days to go, folks got to understand we got to pull together. We got to pull together as a group. We got to start fighting. We got to start fighting on a unified front. If it's all this bickering and backstabbing and score settling and all that now, we're going to get wiped out. And we deserve to get wiped out. I think right now you could pull the Senate together. You could pull the House together. I think you could hold the Senate. I think you're not going to, obviously, not going to turn the House over, but you can pick up some seats. And you could save the presidency. And I think all three of those are very doable if people start working together. But that has in a unified front, unified messaging, people having each other's back. And, and not just that, getting out on the grassroots and start knocking on doors. I went around in 18 and said, hey, we're going to lose this House race. And we do. They're going to impeach him. And what they're doing.
for the Tea Party revolt in 2010 and then the big upset on Obama in 14 in the, in the midterm elections, those were grassroots going door to door. That's what the left did in 18. And right now, this is going to get down to ground game in places like Georgia, Arizona, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. People have got to get together. And I think we got to put the fear of God in Republicans that if we don't pull together, don't think some fairy godmother is going to come in here and sprinkle magic dust. It doesn't happen in politics. At, and look at the Cook report. I mean, he's a pretty even-handed guy. He is. He's saying a blue tsunami. Yep. Yeah, no, it's a wake-up call moment. There's no doubt about it. And um, Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I want to bring up one idea that uh, I know a lot of uh, conservatives are anathema, uh, find anathema to talk about, but uh, mail-in voting. Listen, the Democrats are going to do it, right? So shouldn't the Republicans just get on board and get as many people voting any way that they can get them to voting? Uh, it seems as though holding out on the principle is like disarming because Democrats are going to do the mail-in votes now. There's not any doubt about it. What's your? How would you address the, the get-out-the-vote mail-in voting opportunities for the next 120 days? We have to get all over it. I mean, we can have the argument about principle, which I think we have to have. I am not a fan. You know, I, I voted absentee. I'm not a fan of general mail-in voting, right? right, or electronic voting or any of that, which they want to go to. Same-day registration. However, those debates, I think, have to happen unless they can legally hang some of these things up. Right now, I, I believe people have to get, not just people registered, they have to get them understanding what these mail-in votes are going to be. It's right. going to happen. Look at Florida. I think we're out. I believe the number I saw is that 300,000 difference in mailing voting applications. Yeah, People a, have to understand we may not call. like it, we may not agree with it, but we're going to have to fight that on another day. I agree with you. I think it's a stark reality of how this pandemic year is going to play out. We have to come to grips with the reality. And unless we can stop it in the courts somehow, People have got to, and all the campaigns to me should be full on. This is what I'm saying, grassroots things. We have to start getting people registered, and we particularly have to get them registered to, uh, to, to, to mail-in voting. This is the other thing I keep telling people about the campaign. People say, oh, we can wait until the, to the convention. And to, I said, mm -hmm. it's, it, we start voting in September 6th in some of these mail-in states. Yeah, you're ready behind the eight ball. In October. Yep. Not, by, by election day of November 3rd, election day is not election day. That's the last day of the election. Right. Right now, I believe 50 percent of the vote could already be done by November 3rd. That's why messaging against Biden, door to door campaigning, what President Trump's doing, his actions. We don't have time to wait to the fall. It's over by Labor Day. OK, it's over by Labor Day, I think, because they're starting to vote. You've got to do this in July and August. So, no, I agree with you, John. It's not something I love. But you got to play with the cards you're dealt. I think a card we're dealt is mail-in ballot, and we just got to get on with it. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I'm beginning to sense that the Republicans are starting to pick up on that. I see Karl Rove doing some things. I've been hearing some rumblings of, of Governor Barber and other people, some of the establishment figures, Newt Gingrich. There's so many great minds that can come to the table at one moment now and, and uh, join as a red coalition and get this thing done. And it seems like the last couple of weeks, there's that first motion of people starting to step up and realize it's time to get in the game no matter what you think. 
well, look, it's going to be fraught with, with uh, you know, fraud and all that. It's going to be very imperfect. This election could turn out to be a mess because of this. But I think the reality is we're going to have to deal with that. I don't see the Democrats backing off. I yeah. think they'll make arguments that can win in the courts. So to me, it's get people registered to do mail-in ballots. If we have to do that, make sure they're ready to do it. And then we've got to have a flood of people checking everything and making sure they're not dumping ballots you know, double counting, harvesting, all that. So this thing's going to be a nightmare. That's why it's going to be a massive volunteer effort, I think, to monitor it. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. That's another part. You got to have those election monitors and, and ballot checkers as well. Um, I'm going to switch back to China in a second. But uh, today there was a story in the Wall Street Journal. And as soon as I read it, you know, I said, this kind of feels like one of those Russia collusion stories that fell apart in about 20 minutes, or even the GRU story that the media foist on us a couple of uh, weeks ago that turned fell apart really quickly. But it's about you, and it says that there's this Chinese dissident, uh, Guo, who I've, I've uh, heard of, and um, there's an investigation. I, mean, I started calling around, the first thing I heard is, nah, 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 you got that all wrong, or the Wall Street Journal's got that all wrong. It's the other way around. Uh, Steve Bannon's helping the government in, in, in detecting what China's doing with dissidents like Guo. I want to ask you your reaction to that story. They kind of smeared you. It, it was pretty transparent. It was a very weak story that actually fell apart once you knew the facts. But what's going on there? If you can, is there anything you can say about it? Yeah. Listen, a couple of weeks ago, the same reporter, Aruna, had a story about Kyle Bass saying that, you know, he's a huge whistleblower and a guy that short stocks. He went to the FBI, I think, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that about a company. And she's saying, oh, the FBI is investigating him now. Right. And here's the thing. Kyle Bass and myself are the two Americans that have been out front the most of calling out the Chinese Communist Party of being the real enemy of you the have. Chinese people in the United States of America. Guo is a billionaire, dissident billionaire that left China and has led an effort really to unite, whether it's the Tibetan Buddhists, the Falun Gong, the democracy movement in Tiananmen Square. He's got a whistleblower that continues to get information. I mean, he's he's kind of a, a version of you, John, where you go in and do the tough investigating reporting. <laughs> he has whistleblowers that gives him the information. We are all proud of the fact that we are the vanguard of the anti-CCP. And what one of the things we've done is make sure the American people realize this is not the Chinese people and it's not China. Right. This is not the Kung flu and it's not it's not the China flu. The Chinese people are, are, are the victims here. They're the ones that have been enslaved in the global financial system in the city of London, Davos and Wall Street. You know, the uh, benefits from that slave labor and the serfdom of the workers throughout the rest of the world is the way the system's built. We're at the vanguard of calling it out. I understand if the Wall Street Journal doesn't like us calling many of the people that uh, not just subscribe, but advertise there. And we're going to call them out every day. The hedge fund managers and the global corporations, we're not backing off. I've dedicated my life to assisting the Chinese in their freedom and particularly going after the Chinese Communist Party. Also, that's what this election's about. This Hey, don't think this is not a shot to make sure that President Trump doesn't have enough strong voices against the CCP when we come down to the home stretch. And I'm not backing off. I know Guo's not going to back off. We are actually the people that assist the FBI when we have defectors coming out. There are a lot of defectors trying to get out of China because of the Wuhan virus. There are a lot of uh, defectors trying, that know incredible detail about what went on. We are whistleblower. I run the Rule of Law Society. I'm part of the Committee on the Present right. Danger. We are active in trying to get every dissident out, every person that wants freedom that can turn on the Chinese Communist Party. And if, if, if dissident groups uh, around, there was a lawsuit and had some former FBI guys that were paid 
on some guy's payroll, a former Chinese guy, if they're going to smear us, hey, I don't care about that. As you know, over the couple of phone calls and all my buddies, they said, hey, this is nonsense. You're looked at as the guy that I am public enemy number one in the by the CCP, by Chinese media. Yep. I'm vilified every night on state TV. I'm vilified in the in the in the uh, tabloid, the Global Times. And I take pride in it. I know I'm over the target. Kyle Bass is relentless on Hong Kong about breaking the uh, Hong Kong, the peg of the Hong Kong dollar. And Miles Guo every day breaks more stories about really what they've done to enslave the Chinese people and the financial corruption. And quite frankly, things like H&A, as you remember, John, these huge financial exactly. scandals of mo money laundering and influence peddling, all broken, not by the Wall Street Journal, by Miles Gross. So look, we'll stand by a record. We're not backing off one inch. Uh, we work together. Kyle and I work together. We're going to we have more people that are working together every day. We're bringing in allies. And so, John, you know, because I know you see a rich uh, potential harvest of investigative stories between the elites of the world and the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. This is the business model, and that's got to be broken up to get the American people their freedom and the Chinese people their freedom. On that note, the president has taken a lot of action in the last few months. Uh, I think Michael Pillsbury and, and Peter Navarro and folks like you, and, and we had some stories in Just the News, and he's starting to take these really uh, strong actions about matters that were the focus of complacency for years. During the entire Obama-Biden years, the Chinese companies could participate in the market and not have to comply with the same accounting standards as American companies. And the president just took some action in the last couple of weeks to put an end to that. Uh, our federal and military pension uh, uh, pensions were about to be invested in China. At the last minute, the president put the brakes on that. Uh, he sent a, a warning yesterday, O'Brien and um, Kudlow said a warning yesterday to the Federal Railroad Retirement Group saying, your investments in Chinese companies are harming national security. What else can the president do over the next, you know, six, seven, eight weeks to make substantial progress in the struggle against Chinese aggression in, in the American well, markets and everywhere? Look, I, I think Hong Kong is, is, is Czechoslovakia in 1938. I think yeah. this is our moment. I tell you, the president, I say, he's done more than any president. He's engaged. He's confronted the Chinese while trying to work with them to see if we can't make a trade deal. Right. They clearly lied to him about that. They lied to us about this about this virus. They exacerbated it. Even if they didn't cause it from a lab, which I think eventually we'll be able to prove it, it did come from a lab. But until that time, we know they exacerbated its spread. They bought up the PPE. Their, their, their actions and the chain of title of their actions is unforgivable. And they're guilty of all the deaths and all the economic destruction. That being said, He's done a lot today, as you know. He sanctioned some individuals around the Uyghurs. He's done more than any president ever has, but there's a lot more to do. If he wanted to take down the Chinese Communist Party, John, I think he could do it pretty quickly. I think he could do it by decoupling the capital markets in the United States. If he that's, broke the peg of the Hong Kong dollar and made it impossible to get dollars in yep. to Hong Kong, that's how they feed the machine. That's if the nuclear button, isn't if it? If he sanctioned Hong Kong, Shanghai Bank, Bank of China, CIDIC, Hanoi Group, if he, Penang Group, if he did sanction those four, plus sanction individuals like Wan Shi and other senior, not the guys in Hong Kong, but senior members of the, of the cadre of the Chinese Communist Party, including President Xi, I think the Chinese Communist Party would buckle because I think that underneath the Chinese Communist Party are a lot of people in China saying, hey, this just can't go on. We need the firewall to come down. We need democracy. We're the only big country in the world that doesn't have this. This has got to happen. And I think if President Trump took directed action on taking down the firewall, cutting off the dollar in Hong Kong, putting on economic sanctions, which Wall Street would go crazy, a lot of the Senate would go crazy. If he took these bold actions, the Chinese Communist Party would start to buckle, and I think the Chinese people would overthrow him, and we would have 50 years of peace and prosperity.
Yeah, that's a that's a pretty uh, pretty big prescription, and uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see what 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 will come of it. Okay, it's time to commit. Twenty twenty four is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at home impression kit today for only fourteen ninety five at bite dot com. Bite clear liners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, last question, because I know you're busy and I want to get you back to what you're doing, but uh, every election turns on a question. And of course, the most famous one is, are you better off four years ago than you are? Are you better off today than you were four years ago? Reagan's 84 morning in America sort of uh, question. What will be the question at the end of the day that people are going to ask when it's the choice between Donald Trump and Joe Biden on, in November? I think if you had that question up to January 30th of 2020, the answer would be obviously President Trump. And as Stryber's economy, particularly among Hispanic and African-American working class people, no doubt. Now, I think the question is, we're in a fourth turning. We're in a turbulent time that is going to last a while. This is not going to be solved in 30, 60, 90 days. It's going to take years to get through this. I think the question is going to be, who is providing leadership in stable policies, economic policies, national security policies, policies about law and order and safety? Right. And who, who really is trying to to, you know, move America forward by protecting her greatness and her how she's exceptional. I think if that's the question that people go into to, uh, you know, November 3rd are going to the mail in votes and answer. I think Donald Trump wins because of his action. But to me, he's got to make that case. The way for him to make that case now, John, in the middle of this maelstrom is to do it from the Oval Office yep. in the West Wing. Certainly got to be out there at rallies. You got to be around the country selling it. But it's the actions you take as president of the United States in a wartime, because this pandemic's a war, right? You're a wartime president. Yeah. He steps up and, and continues to act like a wartime president. I think people weigh and measure and say, hey, look, Joe Biden, I just don't think is the right guy for this time. And I think the vote will come down for Donald Trump. But you've got to make that case through actions. Act, act, act. That's three words that are going to be in my head all night tonight. I'm certain of it. <laughs> uh, Steve Bannon, I can't thank you. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time on doing a special broadcast today. This is uh, uh, great for us. A lot of news, a lot of thought. And I hope we get you back on a few more times before Election Day, because there's no one smarter in politics than you. And, and I appreciate that. That's 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 far too kind. But look, I, anything I do to help the show, you know, I've loved your We've worked together for, I think, eight or 10 years now yes. as you're a great investigative reporting. So uh, you've got a, a platform that really, I think, plays to your strengths. We love having you show our audience love. So I'd love to come back on. You just let me know when. That sounds great. All right, folks, you heard it right from there. Stay, Steve Bannon uh, with all the thoughts that we can take for one day. It was really awesome. Thank you, Steve. Until the next time we talk, be safe. John Solomon reports the podcast from Just the News. Just the News.